Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Mr. Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? Eric, it's wonderful to be back. It's 2021. I appreciate the fact that uh, our friend from the north, Doug McPherson, filled in for me, did a yeoman's job. I'm proud of you guys and uh, ready to uh, see what we can do for 2021. Yeah, and we're excited for today's guest. Uh, We have a friend of GQ, longtime friend of GQ, uh, John Scheinman, who you're going to interview in a few minutes. Um, he mentions Oakland Park, uh, and he enjoys the racing there. Next week, we have a great guest coming to preview the opening of Oakland. I'm still reluctant to say who it is because he could, could still back out. I don't really know him very well, so, uh, but I think we'll have him. He, he promised, so uh, stay tuned next week for a great preview of Oakland's opening weekend. But in the meantime, we're going to go to GQ, who sat down earlier today with John Scheinman. Hey, we're here with John Scheinman. For those who may be living in a cave over the last uh, half century or so, John Scheinman, I, I, first of all, John, welcome. Thanks for giving us some time uh, to talk horses. I'm glad I got welcomed. It's not me giving, <laughs> you're, you're giving. No, thank, it's great to be with you, especially since we can't see each other out at Laurel and Pimlico right now. It's, it's been hard. But thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. Um, uh, for those who don't know John that well, John is a two-time Eclipse Award-winning writer. Um, he's the last horse racing beat writer of the Washington Post. Personal friend. <laughs> I, I say that maybe tongue-in-cheek of Andy Byer, because Andy was at uh, uh, the Washington Post when John was there. John will touch on that. I'm sure as we talk, uh, John's written um, for the Pollock Report, Blood Horse, Thoroughbred Times. He's also a recipient of the prestigious Hilltop Award at Pimlico, given uh, out on uh, Owl by Breakfasts, as well as the Red Smith Writing Award that they give during Kentucky Derby Week. Um, I had a pleasure of meeting John probably a decade or so ago up in the Pimlico press box and uh there are people you meet in your lifetime and many of us will refer to them as characters well john is a character and um i'm going to stop talking because john is never short on words so john again thanks a lot but give everybody who's listening uh you're you're uh Correct me if I'm wrong. You're native to the Mid-Atlantic area. If if not, um, tell us where and how you got into horse racing. Who who introduced you and how did you get in, into it? Well, I was born in York, Pennsylvania. Grew up on Long Island. Came down to the Mid-Atlantic when I went to college at American University. Um, um, I would say you know, outside of being a a tiny tot watching racing on wide world of sports, my father, who was not really into racing, he did take us to a couple Marlboro Cups, and I got to see Forgo run, and Wajima, and 
And uh, on, uh, I guess it was honest pleasure or foolish pleasure. I don't know. The fields were packed. They were tremendous. And it was really enjoyable. And I got into it. And so I, but I personally, the seed was planted when I was very young. I started watching um, harness racing from Roosevelt Raceway and Yonkers on television, probably before I went to bed at night. And then, and then I, you know, while most kids when they're eating breakfast are reading the box of cereal at the table, I was looking at entries and results in Newsday from the harness track. And because uh, I would pick them the night before, I would pick them the, the morning before, I probably wasn't watching much. And then I would pick, and then I would see the next day if I'd won or not. And that's how it, the planet. I really actually got into it, like into it when I came down to American University. And, you know, I'd always thought it was interesting and didn't know anything about it. And I began to head out to Laurel and Pimlico. And then I began to do it quite often on the weekends, go out to the tracks. And then I realized I didn't know anything about what I was doing. Time to start <laughs> reading. And um, um, started reading Byers books, Andy Byers books, Picking Winners, Buyer on Speed. I began to, uh, you know, I just went down the rabbit hole. I read Joe Palmer's book, um, This Is Racing. And then I really got really into it when I read Mike Helm's book, Exploring Pedigree. Hmm. And um, that, that book is amazing. And I still get the products based on his work that are still available from a, I'm gonna plug them, a company called Progressive Handicapping. I shouldn't give oh. it away because it's one of my secret edges, but <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Um, and then, and then um, that's basically it. And then I, you know, I have a OCD personality and I began to gamble. Wow. So, so your start was following the trotters and that's how you kind of got into it. When you yeah, say, Yonkers, them, but, you know. when you say Yonkers, am I right? I used to spend summers in New Jersey and we used to watch Yonkers at night. There's a gentleman by the name of, was his name, Sam Bernstein. Stan like Bernstein. Stan. <laughs> Stan's a legend and he created a, a there's a journalism award named after him right now and it pays out like 10 or 20 grand to the winners. Wow. Big. Yeah. I, I, I talked to Bernstein a few times. He's really was a cool guy. He was yeah. Really, you know, he was old when, by the time I got to him, but he was, you know, he really cared a lot about racing. He wasn't, he was serious about the sport being run pro properly so he was a really cool guy so, ba so based on your resume once you got into the writing aspect of the sport uh, you're well traveled you've seen your share of great races in your in your opinion what who's the greatest racehorse you ever saw run either in person or on tv well i mean i i can't you know it's hard for me to say secretariat and affirmed they just don't register with me right you know what I, so i i answer this question to the point where i was engaged with racing not just like right. phantom memories right. sure. of stuff sure and the answer is holy bull and the answer is that right is, well, yeah i mean just nice. absolutely spectacular race record speed figures that are legitimately faster than anything we see hit the track these days i mean he and if you look at the fields and you go back and look at like his Whitney and his Woodward and he, he blows the doors off of millionaires, lots of them. Those fields were jam packed. There wasn't fluff and they were serious animals. He's blowing their doors off. 
and the Travers was, you know, when he held off concern outside of his scope at a mile and a quarter was uh, almost beyond comprehension. And he was, you know, I will, I firmly believe that he was tampered with in the Kentucky Derby mm. and he would be, and if that had not happened, if he had won the Derby, I mean, it wouldn't even be a surprise that in this, that, that I would say that in this conversation. Huh. So I guess he and there were others. I mean, I, I, I thought Groovy was a spectacular horse when he was right. Groovy was the fastest, and it proves out from buyer speed figures. I think he was running in 132 and four, 132, 130. Those numbers are so gigantic. I loved <laughs> that horse so much. He was so cool. And he should have never ran. He should have never ran the Derby, though. Oh, know? they screwed him up completely. They didn't know what they were doing, and then they finally got him right. And um. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, when he was on, it was just, it was just eye-popping to watch horses that fast, you know, when you know what you're looking at and you see it and you know it, and you're like, holy sure. smokes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, uh, racetrack, favorite racetrack uh, for whatever reason. Pimlico by far. And, uh, and, and. <laughs> I don't know if that, you know, if all your listeners know who Action Andy is, but Action Andy's a gambling friend of mine. Uh, we have both agreed that we will lay down in front of the bulldozers and they'll have to run us over to take down public. <laughs> I mean, Act- you, you know that press box is, is a magical place. Yes, a magical it is. place. And, you know, the ownership of this racetrack let it decline on purpose. They didn't care for it properly. They didn't market the sport in Baltimore. There's so many hipsters in Baltimore. You can make, if you can make duck pin bowling hip, you can make racing hip. And they just didn't care because they wanted to get rid of it. But that's my favorite track. And then I would say Saratoga, then Santa Anita, Del Mar, and then Oaklawn. Nice. And my uh, favorite track to bet is by far Oaklawn, and the meet starts in eight days. And for any reason, why Oaklawn as far as betting? It's by far the most competitive racing in the country. It's by far far the largest field sizes of a major track in the country you don't have to mess around with turf horses you just watch dirt racing it occasionally has biases and if you're paying attention you can score off the biases the pick five payout is astronomical when you hit it the level of horsemanship is incredible and it's not dominated by a few bully outfits they don't allow computer wagers into their pools. Oh, I didn't know the best part. Yes, they bar computer wagering. So you don't see these fluctuations to lower prices as soon as your horse takes the lead at the top of the lane. <laughs> that stuff doesn't take place. And um, oh, I could sing the praises of Oaklawn wagering all day long. It is I watch that meet like a soap opera. It is the only meet that I watch so intensely. I'm there before the I'm there before an hour before the races start for Vic Stauffer and Nancy and uh, Nancy Holthus. They're my favorite. Um, they're my favorite handicapping team. I saw Nancy pick seven winners in one day last meet. I mean, wow. they air it up, and uh, they're really funny. I just love the whole thing. Yeah, and they write I, a great condition book. The condition book is a logical progression condition book. It's not optional 30, but, but you know, with like all these different conditions piled into the same race just to fill the field. Like at Maryland, they have these crazy conditions 
because they need to fill the field. Right. Down in Oakland, there's 10 and 11 in every race. They don't yeah. need to worry about that. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I was fortunate enough that a few weeks before the COVID outbreak, I took a tr- my, my maiden voyage trip to Oakland. I was very impressed. Very impressed. He's A1, right? Hospitality is amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's like you wouldn't believe it's there. And plus, the, the, the town of Hot Springs is sort of uh, comparable to Saratoga. You know, the, 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 all the springs, the, 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 the hotels or whatever. It, it's a very unique uh, town. And um, I, I just hope that big-ass hotel that they built on the first turn doesn't take away some of the charm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it will, but I don't think it will. I don't right. think it will. So you, you, may, you may have given us a clue to your go-to wager, or what is your – when you're looking to bet, are you a big uh, – uh, horizontal guy? Do you go after the jackpots or what's your typical go-to wager? I'm a great handicapper and I'm a terrible better, a terrible better. And I lose money and um, I need to straighten it out. But I remember one day I was in Andy Byers living room. He, he kind of had a modified, has a modified OTB type of thing in his living room. I mean, you basically sit there with your computers and a beautiful television in his house and we muck around together and, right. um, and we're losing. And his wife, Susan, comes into the living room one day and so casually looks down on the couch at us and he, she goes, don't forget to bet to win and walk out. <laughs> like, like, thanks, Susan. Like, here we are. It's like, you know, I always call it Andy, Andy and me when I was at the Post. I called him Batman and I was Robin because he was like big gun and I was just getting my <laughs> act together. And, you know, he was the big player and I was covering the news. But we, we began to gamble like that as well, you know. We uh, we fell in as gambling partners. We worked that, you know. He's my partner on the Oakland meet. It's awesome. Fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's That's fun. cool. So, yeah. it, it, as far as you said, you're a hell of a handicapper. You're 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 a great handicapper. What what is your style? Do you follow the buyers? Are you speed class? What what do you follow? Anything in particular? My top advice to all handicappers is to be supple. That's the word that I always ingrain in my head. Be supple in your thinking. Don't get rigid on what's going to win this race for you. There's so many factors that go into a horse race. I'm constantly sifting information right up until the time my bet is placed, which is hopefully 30 seconds before they go into the gate. There's a lot going on. And dependent on the information I'm processing at the time, That'll be a decider in how I make these, you know, am I, am I making a pick five? Well, I can't look at them on the track then, except for the first leg. So that's the last leg I, I handicap. If I'm picking a win bet, why am I picking a win bet? Is it a horse I've been following? Is it a horse that's giving off signals on the track to me from a physical perspective? I'm open to everything, Gary, open yeah. to everything. And, um, and I think being supple of mind and willing to have different things inform your handicapper handicapping makes you a very powerful handicapper. That, that was the one thing I, I noticed over the years as we would be there on Preakness week or even just any week that Pimlico was open the few days uh, recently. You know, we'd be out on the porch of, of the press box looking down at the horses in the post parade. 
and we were both in tune on the physical aspect of the horse saying, oh my God, the two horse looks great, you know? And uh, I got that from a book on physical handicapping. Is that something that you just picked up being around people who knew horses or? Well, uh, Clem Florio, who taught Bayer to look at the horses and Bayer doesn't like to look at the horses, but I do. And Clem taught me to look at the horses. Then I stole a book from somebody and it was uh, a book about how to look, how horses right. express so, themselves. And I, I can't, rem I'm not gonna get up and go get it, but I, it's, it's a great book. I, I, Annesley, is that the guy's name? Famous guy? Oh yeah, yeah, he, I think he, so. He co-authored co co it, yeah, co it with a, a horse woman named Ledbetter. I can't remember what it is. Very mm. good book. And then I just began to learn on my own. I mean, I took sure. notes, learned and learned. What's this? What's it? I mean, you know, what? in the position that I've been in, I've had access to, I'm on the backstretch every single morning at Saratoga, every single day for four or five years. I have access to the trainers. I have access to the horses. I have access to the world. If I'm a player in this game, I better learn what they look like when they're ready to go. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading, um, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Carl Nastver. Carl Nastver wrote a book. Okay. About how to, uh, and it's everything about how to get into horse racing. Huh. So I'm learning new, you know, new things now. At this yeah, thing. you never stop learning in this game. You yeah. know, it's like I've I've been at it for uh, half a century, and I, there's still things that I don't know about it. So the beauty uh, of, of the beauty of horse racing, as a as a as a person who's involved with it and a, as a handicapper is that it's, 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 it's so cerebral. It is mm. so cerebral. People think of it as this dirty game. You know, I had, a, I, here's, a, here's a quick story. I know we're probably getting off track, but I'll just tell you a quick story. So I'm working at Naira and they were having a contest up in the carousel up at Saratoga. And this, this, this guy won, I, he might've won hundred thousand dollars in this contest. And so they, you know, they send me up to do an interview with him to write a press release about it, right? And I located him and I said, hi, I'm John Scheim. And he goes, I know who you are. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, he goes before you talk to me, I want to tell you something. He goes, he goes um, your partner, Andy Byer, wrote a story one day that said, in the minds of the public, handicapping is just one step above pedophilia. <laughs> Oh, he goes, he goes, I'm a, he goes, I'm a high school teacher. He goes, I'm here to tell you, this is the most cerebral game that you can play in the world. And I go, you know, I can't use that quote. Not, you know, like, I can't. <laughs> so that was a funny moment, but that was really cool. Well, you, you have uh, entertained me, whether you've wanted to entertain or not, just, the, just your personality and some of the comments you make, I, I recall one, it had to have been either Black Eyed Susan Day or Freakness Day. I think it was a turf race, 14 horse field. And they had problems. It took so long loading in the gate, whatever. And you must have bet the one horse or whatever. And you were getting all antsy. You're like, if they wait any longer, they better hang a hay ball on the, for the one horse. There you go. I mean, the press box life in Maryland, and it diminished a little bit. Some of the 
the the characters left or died. Clem and Jack. Yeah. Vinny's sometimes there, but it, it it was a clubhouse. It was a real clubhouse, and it got it, it, it will burn your ears off up there if you're not ready for it. So it, we had a ton of fun up there over the years, and it should be fun if you're not having fun. You know, like here's it. Oh my God, we're just I keep going down these paths. The, gu- right. the guys that are running the, the guys that are running the Mar- the Maryland the Maryland Jockey Club right now they put an order up there don't bring beer up into the press box why yes. are you crazy it's horse <laughs> racing are you kidding me no beer in the press box what are you what is this the Women's Christian Temperance Union this is horse racing and we're gonna drink yeah Maybe. I know because uh, that was the main thing at the end at the end of the day at the preakness you know break out the cold ones you know you not have it it's insane. right oh my god they just <laughs> don't get me you know if we start talking no about- i do want to get you started that's why we have you on <laughs> you know take you take it away let's move let's do it i'm ready i'm starting to get hyped up here <laughs> well since 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 you're getting hyped uh we, everybody who who loves this game knows there's a ton of stuff wrong with, with the sport. Uh, it's been dying, you know, for the last thirty some odd years. Uh, th- thanks to, unfortunately, thanks to other gambling venues. That's why it's been propped up. Uh, we'll never have. You know, everybody says, "Oh, we need like a commissioner of horse racing." Well, that'll never happen because of all the track owners will never agree on anything. But in a perfect world, if someone came up to you and said, John, we want you to tell us what horse racing needs to do in order to survive, not only survive, attract new blood. The, my, the, and my the, response is, what's my salary? <laughs> my salary? And is there a Christmas bonus if I do well? Um, <laughs> listen, we're at, we are having you know horse racing's handles pretty good. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the handle, um, but there's issues that are conspiring to hurt this sport. The uh, the closing of racetracks is extremely troubling and problematic. You know the the greed and selfishness of 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 ownership that is not committed to horse racing is a big time problem. And then they, uh, you know, we got one company that's not committed to horse racing except their own major track. And then we have another company that doesn't know anything about horse racing. <laughs> those are the two, those are the two companies. So when I say I like Oaklawn, it's because these, this is a racing family. The cellos are a racing family. And so they run the track properly. They do everything perfectly, perfectly. Yeah. So, so here's the biggest issues here's the biggest issues right now is that is that people have gotten into the game and understood that that it's not about horse racing anymore it's about sucking up as much money in, in horse racing as possible without really giving back to the game so you have the greedy breeders in kentucky that would love to give their best stallions 200 mares that's a big problem because that kills that kills the business of everyone who doesn't have that horse. Right. All these stallions and horses out there that should be stallions, strengthening the breed by having a widespread genetic pool. They're concentrating the genetic pool, breeding infirm animals, and and 
so the breeders are hurting the game. Then you have the owners that are hurting the game. The syndicates, like I'm going to say it, like Matiket, I think hurts the game. Right. Because the, the, the you know, how are you supposed to bet a race that Matiket's an uncoupled partner in three or four horses? Screw it. It's right. ruinous. It's ruinous. So they've gotten it in their minds. They've gotten it in their So you have these power trainers that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, like Asmussen and Cox. Right. And they just get bigger. Baffert at least stays small, but whatever's going on over there, we shouldn't even talk about. But, <laughs> but you have these trainers that are like, they're at every track. Sure. So they're at every big, they're at every big B. But, and Steve po- kind of pioneered this and everybody's looking at it and saying, why not now? They're saying, why are we leaving the $50,000 purses on the table now? Why are we leaving the $70,000 purses on the table now? So now you go to Sam Houston, now you go to Lone Star. These guys are there and they're sucking up all the money. So everybody's got to get out of the game because they can't compete. Right. Got, you know, I mean, Steve Asmussen can throw, he has, he's such a battalion that he can just throw horses in there that will overwhelm those $50,000 horses. Well, eventually those barns are going to go bankrupt. And yeah. um and then there's nobody, to pl- there's no horse racing to play anymore except three Todds, three Chads, three Steves. It's just, I mean, it's a red flag when a guy like Kieran McLaughlin gets out of training. Yeah. Right? right? I mean, this guy's yeah. super successful and he can't make it anymore. Come right. on. You know, so, so, so I don't know what the answer to this is, but it's bad and, and nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to come out and talk about it and address that. Uh, you know, why does Steve have all the horses? Why does he have them? So, I mean, he, you know, like, it just troubles me. Like, my friend uh, Regina Delp, do you know her? She's Buddy Delp's daughter. Yeah, yes. Spectacular bid. She's mm-hmm. a terrific horsewoman who should have her own string. She knows everything about how to do this yeah. business. The books, the horses, she, can, she knows everything. Wow. So she's been out of the game for a while. She just took a job and she's heading out there right now to go work for Richard Baltas. She's going to run a San Louis Ray um, string. Right? Oh. So I'm like, I like Baltas. And he ha- he's raced this horse and he raced him a lot at Oaklawn. This horse that I, it's one of my favorite horses, Motion in Motion. You might've heard this horse, Motion yes. in Motion. He, yes. doesn't win. she doesn't always win. Right. Always rocking and rolling with the biggest ones. So I go online two days ago and he, He's in, she's in Steve's barn. And I'm like, another one? Like, like, it's just like, it's a Hoover vacuum that just, and it's not just him, but Cox is all of a sudden on the rise and they can everything. So it's never gonna be new faces in the Kentucky Derby. It's like all like rigged for the big outfits. And if it's not a level playing field, it's no longer attractive to enter the game as an owner or a trainer, because why are you going to try to go up and compete against a hedge fund that has come into the game that puts nothing back into the game, just takes, takes, takes. So I think we're going to lose people in racing as the consolidation of power continues. This is the greatest threat I see in this world. Yeah, very good points, uh, all of them. And yeah, because the real horsemen when they get a decent horse, what's the first thing it comes by? All these phone calls from all these syndicates who have all the money. It's like, why should why should they go to auctions and take their chances on buying uh, a you know six figure yearling when they can just wait until the horses are running at age two and throw a ton of money at them when they when they break their maiden? 
Yeah. But, you know, as somebody who really loves the game and is in on it, they know that that might be a once-in-a-lifetime horse. But in order to stay in the game, that, that payday is, you know, for that horse is, is uh, really uh, something to be behold. Yeah, they, I mean, they know they can go get two or three or four more. Right. But, but the problem is, is like the people that do the work are not rewarded in terms of, of name recognition. Yeah. It just goes, gets sucked into that, that big outfit's barn. Right. It stinks. I, I hate it. I hate it. And I don't know what to do about it. And I know you just named me commissioner, but I've been <laughs> thinking long and hard about ways to limit um, barn size. So, this, so a lot of people are like, a lot of people are like, you know, Chad's so dominant Saratoga. They, they should do like they did in the old days when they would limit you to 40. You could only have 40 in the barns, right? Okay. Chad is out at the harness track. He's got barns filled up at the harness track. Okay, so if they limit him at Naira, they don't have the, you know, what are they gonna, they can't, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe they can, but they're gonna create a law that says you can't have them off track. These guys, you know, they build training centers for them. These training centers in Florida are built for these guys. Right. You know, people, and if you take try to take it away, take away their stalls, they'll go buy a farm. Yeah. And they'll put a training track in it. And there's so many ways. You know, if I, if you made me commissioner, I would have a rule in racing and it, I would police the devil out of it in a, things like ownership papers and things like that. This is a whole other story. But for the trainers, the trainers could only have a certain amount of horses. Well, the, 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 the devil's advocate viewpoint, and I agree with you there, but it's like they have all the horses who can fill the races. So the racing secretary isn't going to cut off their nose despite their face by saying you can only have so many horses when they know they have to rely on those trainers who have a barn full of horses to fill the races. But Gary, back in the day, they did it. They limited no, the they did. horses. So, I mean, you know, they keep changing the rules and changing the rules. I mean, I, sit, I sat in on the commission meetings when they uncoupled the horses. They uncoupled the entries. I'm like uncoupled ownership entries what are you doing and they and they sit up there in new york and say that that uh trevor mccarthy and kate and uh and yeah, oh my god ride in the same race except you can have three different chads running the same what are we talking about here oh and you can have brothers who uh can live together yeah yeah <laughs> they talking they live together right so don't so you know that's just that that's just an old law that some somebody you know if and i i'm surprised they haven't changed it immediately based on this thing yes so what racing does is is it curries two big shots it, and it and it and it's a it's a bad thing they do and they're doing it in this and i don't want to get too deeply into this but they're doing it in the in the uh in in the things like going after racism you know it's like and i'm not defending anyone here but i'm right. saying you know they got tom van meter when he was writing all that horrible stuff they yeah. took down eric yo but but and i love barkley tag i've gotten along with him great for years but that guy's said stuff that's not cool you right. know like when the kentucky derby was run this year and they were gonna have a black lives matter protest out there 
at Churchill Downs, and a lot of people were thinking maybe we're not going to have the Derby this year. So they go ask Barkley what he thinks about it, and he goes, "Well, it looks to me like they're we can't sh- they're allowed to shoot us, but we can't shoot them." Excuse me? Yeah. This is this is this is a protest against police brutality and white supremacy, and that's your reaction, and you're going to throw Eric Guillaume out of the game for grape soda? This is a this is a unequal application of law. So Bob Baffert is allowed to get off scot-free for multiple medication violations, but a small trainer who doesn't have an outfit like Baffert's, who's got maybe six or seven horses, she gets banged and she gets suspended, that barn's closed. Those horses are all transferred and she's out of business. That's a misapplication, that's an unequal application of law and rules. So unequal, unequal application of so many different things in this game that conspire to hurt the game as a whole. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, we talked a little bit beforehand, and I knew this ahead of time. You've been working on a book. Tell us a little bit about the book. It's a, it's not out yet for consumption for people to, to jump on it, but we're going to give the preview to our listeners. Thank you. Um, that's very nice. What would I owe you for this? What, like 50? <laughs> um, people have been pushing me to write a book for a long time. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm going to disappoint people, but it's a fiction. Because um, um, I think people want to hear racing stories. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I, that's where I thought you were going. No, no it, it, but there's racing in the, in the book. Oh, okay. And it's a very short book. It's, it's not long at all. It's more like a novella and it's going to be like, yay big. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Really right. cool. And it's called Bow Harbor Blues. And so what the deal of the book is this, is uh, it's 1991 and a guy who handles the, the numbers for a mob outfit. He's got Saratoga and part, not Saratoga, Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn. He runs a nice mob outfit. I mean, a nice numbers outfit. He uses kids to do his numbers, right? And the mob and New York State begins to get in really deep into lottery games and numbers games. And the mafia decides to shift out of numbers into crack, cocaine, and prostitution. And this guy's going, what are we doing here? This isn't what I do. This, you know, I don't do this. Mm-hmm. My people want, are into numbers. They don't do crack. They're good, normal people. You know, we got a great business. What are you doing? He's anyway, he's 55 years old. He's out. So he's, you know, he's built up a lot of goodwill with the mob. So what they do is they retire him to Bal Harbor, Florida. And the book's called Bal Harbor Blues. So he gets he gets in a condo with his wife. He gets a mob pension. And he and he doesn't know what to do with himself, right? So I'm not gonna get into all of it, but they wind up get out of there and they wind up in a seedy Art Deco motel down on Collins Avenue. It, and this was before Miami kind of got rebuilt. It's still okay. And he begins to dissipate and he loses his purpose in life. And what happens is his wife begins to make forays on her own out into the Miami underworld to create a crime to help her husband get his mojo back. Oh, jeez. That's the crux of the story. And so like it's told in present time and flashback and present time and flashback. And this guy's father was a guy who 
fixed races. His father fixed races like out of Jamaica race course. So he saw all this stuff as a kid growing up and his wife creates a racetrack crime. Okay. And that's the story. Now, the reason the book is not already being printed, I will tell you the reason the book hasn't been printed. I sent it out to a few trusted people, A for blurbs, right? And B to just say, am I, is this all good here? You know, right. is this all good here? So Byers, one of my guys. So Andy calls me up and he goes, he goes, he goes, John, I have to tell you, I'm loving this book. I'm curled up here. I'm curled up here on the couch right now. And it's like reading Damon Runyon for the first time. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. He calls me back a day later, maybe two days later. He goes, I finished the book and it, and it reads and it reads like it was written by someone who doesn't know anything about horse racing. I'm like, <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> what? So I like, I'm crestfallen. He goes, he goes, go, he goes, go change the crime. Go oh change. gosh. I'm like, what? I'm not changing the crime. That's rewriting the book. So he proceeds to email me a tutorial on the mathematics of handicapping. And I think I was probably so depressed. I got into the shower, curled up in the fetal position and stayed there until I was like a California raisin. <laughs> uh, and I was like, so depressed. That's why the book's not out yet. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't met Andy's requirements of excellence on crime. Well, other, I... other people who read it, they, they just went, well, this is great. They did, they weren't, you know, he's so brilliant. That he's yeah. breaking down the crime to see if it makes sense from a betting standpoint. And I'm like, who cares? It's a story. But I want to fix it so he's, I can get my blurb and he's happy. Because I want to please him still. He's still like a mentor you know? Uh, you have to get his approval. <laughs> I want his approval, of course. Well, I mean, let's, let, can I step back and say it? When I met Bayer, okay, I get hired to I get hired to cover racing at the Washington Post, right? The other yeah. the guy who it was Vinnie Peroni, this great yeah. race writer, yeah. superb, knows his work. And they replaced him with a guy named Dave McKenna, who is a good friend of mine, and he's a terrific sports writer. He's on Deadspin, and he's he's really really good. And um, but he didn't really know anything about racing, so he just basically he didn't cover it as a beat. He'd show up and do weekend race wrap up. Uh, and then he was covering, you know, rock concerts at Merriweather, and the, the guy was not focused on racing. I come in there, I, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dog. I know what I'm doing. Turned out I had a lot to learn, but I, I wanted to, I was like, this is the guy's books I've read. This is my hero. All of a sudden I go, I'm like, hi, Mr. Buyer. I'm the new racing rock. Don't call me Mr. Buyer. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm so scared. And and he really didn't talk to me because he doesn't talk, you know, he doesn't, you know, you said at the top of the show, he doesn't let a lot of people into his inner circle. And he's, right. he's a superb human being. He just doesn't have time for what's draining, you know, he's got a life to lead and he wants to lead it and not have your yeah, right. favorite horse racing story fill up his time. He's busy. So I wanted to be in with this guy. I wanted to work with him and I wanted to get to know him. I revered him. But I, but Gary, that, I was still me. 
So I'm loudmouth. As anybody listening to this can tell, I'm a talker. So I'm up in the press box, which was my home, right? I felt comfortable there. And so I'm, it's Maryland Million Day. And I'm spouting off about this horse in the Maryland Million Sprint named Georgie Stover, who was, I think, it might've been 25 to one, something like that. I'm like, this mm -hmm. one will not lose. And I'm, yeah, I'm talking all day long. I'm waiting for Georgie Stover, Georgie Stover, Georgie. This horse is like, nobody's betting this horse, right? He airs, he airs, and buyer goes, how did you know that? <laughs> now my now I'm a fisherman and I got my hook in and it just took off from there because what he wanted was to see that I understood the game and he wanted to know that he wanted to see like I can think and do this I don't follow the crowd I can I have logic behind what I'm doing and it will be contrarian to the eight to five favorite and I'm sharp and then I began to show that I know how to write and report as well. It gave me an entree to a great friendship, That's but awesome. I still had to prove my stripes first and that race got the ball rolling. So it's nice. A great moment. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with us. So <laughs> and and I, I've been guilty of doing my uh, impersonations uh, never Andy Buyer impersonation, but I give you an A plus on the. Uh, good, <laughs> it's a good buyer, and I don't know if he if he would take offense to it. I don't. Know. <laughs> well, if, if we were so honored that uh, Andy Buyer would uh, actually listen to what uh, we have to say from week to week, uh, I know. See now, uh, my partner Eric, who's patiently waiting the handicapping segment, he's a big buyer guy, but he right he's, he's come up with his. What we what I've termed buyer er his Eric's initials are E R, and Eric likes to look at races and take the buyers one step further, thinking that the buyers themselves didn't cover like a very wide trip or the fact the horse had had was on the rail the whole time. So he likes to give plus and minuses to the actual buyers. So. But that's um, your responsibility as a handicapper to get to do the trips. I mean, this like the Oaklawn meet, you have no idea how much time me and him put into trips. We put in a lot of time, but the buyer is a valuable tool to work, work right. off of. It's a good foundation. The it's the foundation. But you, I mean, there's so many other factors to go in there. But if, you know, if they throw in a horse that's in the 70s and he's going up with against horses in the 90s, I mean, you're really going to have to have a good story to tell why that one's going to win. Right. Buyers right. are really helpful. Well, uh, I'm just going to ask one, one last question. We'll let you go. I know your, your, your schedule is, is, is booked and you have, have other things to do. We, we appreciate your time. So what can you share with us your best horse racing story, whether it be a personal betting story that was like an awesome score or a bad beat or anything that uh, you've shared multiple times that uh, you can't believe either good fortune or bad fortune? I have two really great stories, but I can give you one. You or you can, can have both. Two, two if you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. My my greatest day 
my greatest day was, uh, uh, God, was it 2005 or six? Giacomo wins the Kentucky Derby. Okay. I give out battle one on, to Jason Levin on his LA radio show. Do you know Jason? Uh, okay. Yeah. I give out battle one and I give out Giacomo. So is that why Ken Rudolph uh, picked Giacomo? Because he heard you uh, like Giacomo? I saw him. I saw that tape. And he goes, and you know what? I, I loved that tape until he said, well, I got $25 on him. I'm like, that's it? What? 25 and you're you're making it like you just took down the house. Here's my deal. Here's my deal. I bet Chacomo, I gave him out on the radio and I played the late pick three. So the, it's the Kentucky Derby and then there's the two allowances that follow so the crowd doesn't pour out at once. Right. In boxing, they call it the walkout bout. These are the walkout bouts. And uh, I, I played, that was my pick three. Now Giacomo wins the Kentucky Derby. Now I'm, I'm writing for the Washington Post. So you got to write a story afterwards. Well, this story is not only going to be written because it's such an astronomical upset, it's going to the front page of the paper. Okay, now I'm like, I got to get my game on. <laughs> but I'm alive as an MF, if you know what I'm saying. I am alive. Now I got, I got half my brain going, you got to write this and you got to, you can't just write the story. You're the Washington Post. Yeah. Like you're competing, like everyone else in this room automatically in my mind is below me. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm the Washington Post, man. This is going to be the best story of all of them, period. But I got a lot of money going here. Second race comes in. I have a big price. That thing came in at a big price. And, um, the last race, I got three horses to, for the pick three. Payoffs are like crazy. Now I'm waiting on this race, right? The Louisville Courier in the old press box, in the new, in the old new press box. They built a palace for us, and then they gave, they turned it into Millionaires Row. But for right. a while, palace for the press. And okay. the Louisville Courier had a, its own private office inside the press box. Right. Jenny Reese comes out, right? Jenny Reese, you know her? She, yeah, she's a uh, Courier Journal, you yeah. know, big, she big comes girl. out of her office. No, so no, so here's the thing. Uh, here's, the, here's the scenario. I'm sitting on a monster pick three. I got three horses. I got to write for the Washington Post on the <laughs> deadline. Here comes Jenny out of her office. She goes, people are telling me you bet on Giacomo. I go, yeah. She goes, we want to write a story on you. <laughs> I'm like, that's not happening. The Washington Post does not want to read a story about me in an American paper event. as if I'm up there gambling my right. head off in the press. <laughs> so, I, so I shut that down, and then I'm really concerned that she's going to write something anyway. And all of a sudden, I gave my story down. I can't. I got to watch this race. Three horses blast off. You can go look at the chart. They they pinball all over the place, right? They're just duking it out. Multiple objections, multiple <laughs> inquiries go up. Those were the I, those were the three that I bet. So they beat the hell out of each other the whole way. I don't care who gets DQ'd. I've won. I've won. And I go to the window and the teller counts out 149 $100 bills for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And Jen I mean, everybody was stupefied. I mean, I... I've had some tremendous scores in the Triple Crown. It's where I do all my best work. Sure. And um, 
like I've really taken it down. I like I, for a while I was working in the infield as a handicapper for the Maryland Jockey Club on previous. Yes. Yep. And, uh, and and um, they, Lucas had a turf horse named Sky Ring. Really yes. Yeah. His horse was like twenty five to one. Now people are. I have a I, I have a gang around me because I'm firing that day, and they cut so they come back around, you know, before the race. It's a, and I go just go bet this horse Sky Ring, right? Go bet. And they go, why? This horse is that? I go, don't ask me questions on this one. Don't ask for logic. Bet the horse. He airs. He wins. This guy from Minnesota comes back to me and he goes, he's a huckleberry hound. And he goes, did you see me in the winter circle? I go, what? He goes, I bet $500 on that horse you gave me. So what were you doing in the winter circle? I just felt like I should be there. I was like, oh, this God. is insane. He didn't tip me. He didn't wow. Tip. He didn't tip. Yeah. So, Unbelievable. That, so that was a good story. Do you, do you have time for the other one? Are we getting too long here? We're getting long, but get, uh, give us the story. Okay. The story was, it's my first big score. Oh my God, this is a complicated story, but I'll, get, I'll try to do it quick. I'm working for a newspaper that's no longer in existence called the Montgomery Journal. It's a, it's a Montgomery County, Maryland. It's five days a week daily. It was, we beat the hell out of the post a lot. We was, I mean, everybody who left there went on to great things. It was a superb, I would match it against any community daily in the country and then elevated times. Wow. So we had, a, I was in the sports department and we had a, a summer adventure series and the reporters in the sports department would go on summer adventures and write about them. So they go, they go, Shyman, we want you to go skydiving. And I go, you don't even cover my insurance and you want me to go skydiving? You don't cover my, I'm not doing that. And it was this whole thing, you know, I didn't want to do it. The guy who wound up doing it compressed his back. He wrote the story from the hospital bed and they show him with an interaction with the computer. On his <laughs> I didn't do that one. And then, and then they said, well, if not that, how about going to demolition derby? I'm like, y'all trying to tell me something like maybe you want me dead so i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to the state fair and i'll cover the state fair so you know i'm supposed to be at the fair now don't you know i go immediately to the track right i'm not covering the goats and the chicken prize roosters and stuff i go to the track right i was just getting going i really didn't know fully what i was doing at the time but I bet a, an exacta and across the board on two horses, it was Rudy's wiggle and cut the crop. 25 to one and 10 to one, right? Rudy's wiggle airs. And we're in the far grandstand, you know, like the, the metal stands to yeah. four turns. We're back, I'm back up in there. I can barely see a thing. And a horse comes flying out at the end and I go, who was that? And this guy, this total stranger goes, that was the five. And I'm like, oh, yes. That's me. That's Rudy's wiggle and cut the crop. Two dollar exacta pays nine eighty eight. Now, when you've never won anything in your life, like I've never done anything in my life at a racetrack, and all of a sudden I'm loaded. So I'm like, I've got my story. This is my story. So I have my tape recorder, right? So I begin to narrate what happened as I'm going to the window. Okay. I'm just so I can have it on tape, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, so yeah, so I'm like narrating it on this and this happened and this happened and this happened, so I'm recording it. So I get to the window. Now this is before all the computers and all the stuff in the window were modernized. This is 90, 90, 88, something like this, right? So it was really like primitive type stuff. So I take the tape recorder and I put it right down in the window. And the teller's name was Billy Ryan. 
and I put the tape recorder down and I go, I worked with Billy. You did? Yes. Well, you're not going to like this story. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so I'm interested in hearing your story. Well, I mean, that was only, it was like first, I I was part-time weekend teller uh, to to make some extra money for the family. And uh, I just remember he was like the longest running mutual clerk there. And he was like 85 at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I put the tape recorder down and I go, I'm doing a story for the newspaper and I'm just going to let you know, I'm recording, I'm going to record our conversation so I can have some color and stuff. He goes, and he takes a ticket and he and he runs it through I, $988. Oh, and he goes, oh, I'm going to have to see your driver's license for this. I go, why? He goes, it's for taxes. I go, what? I didn't know anything about how that worked. Right. So he takes my, takes my card and he looks at the card. And he goes, he goes, John, you're a big winner, John. You're a big winner. I'm like, what? He goes, you're going to have something for the boy. You're going to have something for your boy. I'm like, what? Oh, God. And I'm taping all of it, right? <laughs> what are you talking about and the, and so like throughout the entire process he's harassing me for a tip but he makes right. a mistake that i didn't notice at first but he runs the 988 through the machine again and it takes it took it took and i go where did that come from i didn't realize i go i guess i had another one and meanwhile i also have the 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 win and plate across the board money too so he's like, oh, you're a really big winner, John. And I'm like, all right, all right, let's just do this. Let's, you know, do the tax form, blah, blah, blah. I get paid. Now, as soon as I get paid, I go, all of a sudden, I, vi- I visualize every carny and every guy with a tattoo staring at me. I feel like everyone in the freaking fair knows I've got a ball of money in my pocket. And I'm like, okay, story's done. I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm out. And I run to my car laughing. I get back to the newspaper. I drive to Rockville, go to the old schoolhouse where the newspaper was uh, on Randolph Road. I go, I need a photographer. They send a photographer. I go, <laughs> go out to my car. I'll show you the picture sometime, Gary. And I fan out all the money. And I fan out all the money. And that's the pictures that run in the newspapers, me fanning out all the money. And I wrote this story in a faux but serious hysteria. Like you read it like, and it's like, I've got to calm down. I literally had a line in there that said, I had to calm down. That night I get home and my phone rings. You owe me money, John. I'm like, who's this? He goes, you know who this is. I go, what are you talking about? Who he goes, it's the teller. He goes, you know, you, you owe me money. He goes, you owe me 908. I go, what are you talking about? I didn't get it. I go, I don't know how you got my number, but you need to leave me alone. And then I hang up. I, I go, oh, I gave him my license. So he had all my so looked up, yeah. So, so I retrace my steps the next day when the newspaper comes out. I go look at the charts and I'm like, He's probably right, right? He's probably right, but he's a jerk because he wouldn't have done this if he hadn't been so interested in extracting a tip out of me. And I didn't pay him and I would, and he wouldn't leave me alone, right? He wouldn't leave me alone. And finally I said, all right, all right, all right. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna finish this up here. I went up the block to the public library and I took out a book about how to write contracts. And I wrote a contract up that said, you're going to get half of this money. You're going to get $450 after you sign your name to this contract and in full agreement that after you receive that money, I owe you nothing beyond that. Okay. And I uh, get a friend of mine who works at the paper, who's 
maybe as small as I am, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just two little stupid sports writers. And I say, meet, I tell him to meet me in the parking lot of the giant supermarket. <laughs> what, a, what are you, like, what are you, John, an idiot? Are you, an, he shows up with the biggest gorilla you've ever seen. His back hair was coming through his clothing. That's how, it was like a monster. And I'm like, you, 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 you gotta sign this. I was so scared, but we did the deal. And then as soon as we signed and I hand over the money, him and the, the giants start cursing me out. We're gonna get you, we're gonna get, and I, we literally ran, we ran away. And that's the story. That's amazing that the teller machine did that because at least the modern machines, there's no way. Once it goes through, it's- I don't know how it worked, but I know oh. he was right and he wasn't paying attention. So it's, that's just what happened. I mean, you know, maybe I'm off and maybe I don't know, but that's what happened. I got paid double. Oh. I don't think I had double because he wouldn't have gone ballistic. So he must, he had to have run it twice. That's what happened. He did run it twice. Or, it well, so what happened? Yeah, what happened was um, that was probably back uh, in when the IRS wanted to get a hold of the tax money of all these big winnings. So the machine would recognize it and um, you'd have to turn over all that information. But it never gave the total amount. That's what I'm thinking. If, if, he, if he recognized the total the first time, and then when he ran it back through with all your information to put in the machine, but still, anyway. But, but you know what I'm just realizing having this conversation right now, and then I'll let you wrap it up because I'm sorry, I'm just, I know I'm taking too much time. But um, he got his, he got half of his money, but I still paid full taxes on the, on the whole thing. True, yeah. So I never thought of that until just now. Anyway, so <laughs> those are my, those are like two of my favorite stories. And so the, the Montgomery County uh, newspaper story on the fair was you, your big win at uh, the Big T. Yeah, I'll try to dig it up one day and show it to you because it's just so, it's so fun. I'm like, I mean, I'm bug-eyed in the photograph. It's just a great. great uh, well, John Scheiman, uh certainly not a disappointment. You're, you always bring your A game. Uh, whenever you're talking horses and stuff and uh, we'll look forward to Val Harbor Blues coming Thank to you. Amazon uh, yeah. I'm assuming uh, yeah, it'll be all over. We'll and I'll sign it for you if you want it signed it's not going to be expensive maybe be 10 now, bucks or something now the question is are you going to have Andy Byer do the forward no I want him to do a blurb for me that's what I'm trying to do yeah, okay I got Jerry Eisenberg to do a blurb for me and so and he's one of the greatest sports writers there is oh. so I'm super excited and um hopefully it'll be out sometime this year I'm so happy you guys had me on the show and it's so great talking to you again Gary because we just yeah you know, we're out of it man we're in isolation exactly yeah the, the days up at the press box talking horses who you like and why and all that uh, I look forward to it, and hopefully we'll be at the uh, Pimlico as well. Yeah, we'll all be back, and and um, I hope I haven't bored all the listeners. But thanks for having me. Well, th thanks again, John. Um, Eric, uh, patiently waiting for his his turn. A any parting words for John or anything, Eric? No, John. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was uh, sitting back and enjoying those stories. Those were great. And Thank you. I'm glad GQ invited a fellow <laughs> Jew from Long Island. So that's ah, right on. Right on. Temple Bethel, 
Temple Beth. Temple Beth L in North Belmore by any chance? Fort Washington. Oh, uh, there's a lot of Temple Beth L's, but that was mine, North Belmore. So right very on, nice. Man. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. Okay, guys. Take care. Take All care, right. John. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. So some fascinating tales there. I hadn't met John until today. And that was a really entertaining guest. So good job, GQ, uh, getting him on for us. We're going to move on now. Uh, I know we, it's been going a while the show, so we're going to do a pretty quick handicapping segment. The Late Pick 5 Saturday from Gulfstream Park. Uh, it begins with race eight. They have a 12 race card. I looked up the weather. It seems like it will be okay. So we should be on the turf and we're going to get started right away. Race eight is a mile and a 16th. Uh, it's a state bread stakes as most of these are the sunshine Philly and mare turf. And, you know, I always joke about the morning lines and not joke, but I say how they're terrible. I, I think they're terrible here too. Um, I, I don't see how they're going to beat the six sugar fix. I, I really like that horse. Two to one morning line. My problem is I would expect the horse to be four to five, maybe even three to five. I hope I'm wrong. Anything near two to one, I'll be very happy. Uh, maybe six to five. But anyway, Sugar Fix, the six horse, that's who I like. His race two back in a grade three race was really much better uh, than it looked. He uh, chased two to three wide in a race that fell apart. So he was chasing a blistering pace against grade threes, and the race fell apart. Uh, and those horses are much better than these that he was running against. So the buyer looks low, but we talked about it. You talked about in the interview, how you have to adjust that. And that's just the basis. His last race, he got an 85 buyer and it was just much better than it looks. Also, he had a slightly slow start. He had a two to three wide trip. Uh, he probably made an early move because that race favored closers and he was kind of close. So, and that too was against um, some decent horses in there. Uh, a few of these, uh, like the Enville street was in there. So anyway, I just think that he's going to, uh, he's the best horse in the race here. Or I said, should say she, as these are fillies and mares. The only other horse that interests me at all was the eight Mo of the West. There's a horse who has not run as fast, but just turned four. She could be improving. Her race two back was actually pretty good. She got squeezed at the start. It does say slow start. And uh, she was probably back more than she wanted to. She also lacked some room early. So she kind of got stuck and couldn't get forwardly placed. She's not a horse with a ton of early speed, but she would have been, I don't know, third, fourth, you know, mid-pack towards the front. Instead, she was way back and made a nice run. I thought she'd run a little better last time. Uh, she did have a little bit of a wide trip last time, but I just think she's possibly got room for improvement. Um, we covered that race, the Vigilante's Way race. That was just a, a tough race, if you remember that one. And uh, that was the McGahee horse who won. So Mo of the West is the only one that I think has a chance here to, to beat Sugar Fix, but I'm, I'm basically leaning on Sugar Fix. Sun Summers is 7-2, capable, but I thought I had a perfect trip last time, and I thought I had a really good trip the time before that, so I, I don't see that horse getting any better, and I think the trip's made her look better than she is, and Kelsey's Cross coming out of open um, stakes races is capable, but there doesn't appear to be a lot of speed. That's one reason why I like Sugar Fix, who should be able to sit close to the pace. So 6-8 for me in this race, that's all I'm interested in. Uh, do you have anything to uh, to add? I know I said I do most of the handicapping for us, but glad to hear your thoughts. <laughs> no, I, I, just a few observations. You know, the two horse Kelsey's Cross uh, has run in you know these minor open stakes races. That's that's the thing about you know sun sunshine millions day. You know, it's a lot of times you get heavy favorites because it's restricted they're restricted stakes races you know uh and um 
you got you got to be careful about that. I definitely agree with you on sugar fix. Um, do you think uh, that uh, the nine uh, Bienville Street, who just ran a length behind, sugar fix two back, then came back and won first time blinkers. That it's funny. Uh, as I had mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, second time blinkers is a big angle for me, except when the horse wins first time blinkers. I know it's strange, but seldom have I seen horses who uh, come back and repeat as winners, regardless of the level that they're running at uh, second time blinkers when when they're running. Um, but, uh, you know, that 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 horse is interested if you're if you're playing uh, uh, ver verticals. Uh, it's funny how the uh, four horse, you know, Sun Summers, who is actually the second choice, um, all of a sudden uh, has uh, caught lightning in a bottle since uh, Mike Maker claimed him off of uh, Jane Sabelli, who in her own right is a, a decent, you know, the, the horse just shows up every race. Uh, finally, it's a huge step up, but who knows? Um, Five-year-old mare. Uh, so, yeah, um, I know I was all over the pl place there, but yeah, um, I'll, I'll tail you with uh, Sugar Fix in uh, the eighth race. <laughs> and talking about every horse by Sugar Fix. Okay? Right. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I spoke about her a lot. All right, let's go to race nine then. The uh, Sunshine Classic. I guess this is uh, for the males, the, the main race here. And every sequence, not every, but many sequences have like one or two races I'm not too confident in. This is the one that I'm not that confident in. Um, but I like the three best. I don't think he'll be nine to two. I think he'll be either the favorite or co-favorite. Uh, again, I, I think the morning line's bad there, but I don't know this race. Sometimes when we get to a race later, the morning line's a joke, but I'll get to that. Um, last judgment is the three, sorry. These are horse who... Two back running against second level allowance optional claimers in New York. Uh, won the race very impressively. Came flying late. It was, I know it looks fast at time, but it really wasn't that fast based on the way they ran. It was kind of an even race. The speeds did fine. Um, and, and he really impressed me that race. Got a 98 buyer, which would not blow this field away, but is probably the best in the field. And that would win this race. Then he came back in a grade three the Mr. Prospector. Look who he ran against. Sleepy Eyes Todd, who's an excellent horse who runs 100 buyers. Uh, Ferenc Fire, who's basically a 100 buyer horse. And Mind Control, who's capable of being a 100 buyer horse. He's running against much better last time. He didn't stand much of a chance. He was just outrun. No excuse other than they were just much better. So I can kind of toss that race. He really didn't have a chance there, even though it was 13 to 1, because uh, the 98 buyer of the race before excited some people. And by the way, Pete's play call, who we beat two back, is a solid New York horse who runs like a 90, 92 buyer, which Pete's play call would be competitive in this field. The only question to me about last judgment is not if he's good enough, because I think he might be the best horse, at least right now in form. My only question is the distance with him, but he's run well at a mile and a 16th. Yeah, he came in fourth, but that was against King for a day and maximum security, so I don't care going two turns. And the <laughs> other long race, the mile and a 16th race at Oaklawn, he won. Uh, and he beat Desmond and Comedian, Desmond, I believe, is a, uh, I know California, I want to say a Baffert, but it might not be Baffert, one of the top California uh, trainers. He, he's a good horse. He was in good form at the Oakland meet last year. So anyway, last judgment to me is the best horse, but the distance might be a question mark. That's the horse I lean on the most. But it seems wide open this race. I mean, I like the one. He won this race last year. 
he's nothing special to me, though. I mean, the distance won't be an issue, I guess. He's a closer. I don't know if there's a ton of speed here. Uh, I don't think he'll be seven to five, the one. I, I think it'll be more like five to two. But he's got as good a chance as anyone. Maybe for a short price, I'll leave him out. But there's really no, I don't love the long shots, the two. Um, you know, Scar, I, I don't like that much. Qunane or QAnon, I don't know. QAnon, uh, maybe this horse should have stormed the Capitol also. Uh, if you get my little political humor there, it wasn't too good. It's not like your jokes, but um, yeah, the five QAnon. I know that's not how you pronounce it. I don't know how maybe though. It's, maybe it's QAnon or something. Yeah, you know what? I heard uh, Pete Aiello say it on the call, but I forgot. Anyway, he had one race as good enough when he had a fairly easily. So I don't love that horse. And then Coffee Bean, I'm not a big fan of. I remember his turf win was when he had an easy lead and wired the field in a speed favor and course. Could he win? I guess he could be a better horse now. I don't see the two, five, seven, but any of the other four can win, and I'm leaning on the three. You have any uh, anything to add before we move on? Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a strange race. I don't. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I think the the one is seven to five just because of you know he he always gets bet in these type of restricted uh, stakes races. Uh, he lost to QAnon, but that was on a sloppy track, so maybe that you know that. That's the reason why Q Nane or whatever, however you, you pronounce it. Um, you know, the, the six Red Crescent looks interesting. Uh, it's, you know, uh, seven year old gelding ran second, uh, the only time gone a mile and an eighth. And that's why I, I look at a lot uh, horses that haven't gone, you know, a race where. You got a bunch of horses who haven't shown uh, that they can get the trip. Uh, so I'll look at, look to horses who, who have, um, you know, you're, I, I, I don't think you should be too worried about last judgment, uh, you know, getting the distance, even though he's only been doing one, one turns, you know, you know, Sire congrats who by AP Indy never had a problem getting a distance. So, um, if uh, looking for a price, maybe, maybe I'd look, look to the six Red Crescent. All right. So, uh, and I don't disagree on that. I said I, I can see a lot of horses winning, but I'm, I'm leaning towards the three. All right. So race 10, Sunshine Sprint. This is six furlongs on the dirt. And this is a race where I think you have a heavy favorite. The morning line got it right. It might even be shorter than that. And that's the five extravagant kid. He's been sprinting on the turf mostly, but it's hard to see another horse beating him right now. He's got to go back to the dirt, but his dirt races were as good or better than his turf races. So uh, I, I think he just stands out here. I hate to give out chalk and uh, nothing special, but it's going to be hard to beat him. Uh, the other horse or another horse to talk about who I think the morning line's off because I think he'll clearly be the second choice. Uh, and that's the four super Stonehenge, who I think will be about three to one, maybe even five to two or possibly shorter. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts if you want when I'm done here, but um, past years towards me running well. I don't know what to do with that horse. He had pretty much a perfect trip right um, last time on the poly track or on the tapete up at Woodbine. He ran against Ryder Common, who of course came back and won the stakes race, beat my horse Casa Creed by a, uh, actually he might've been by a length or something uh, last week we covered the race, but Ryder Comet ran really well, but Ryder Comet was uh, an improving horse and uh, had, had trained like crazy down at Gulfstream. So, I mean, I guess it's a positive, but I'm not going to go crazy that he came in second to Ryan Comet. Super Stonehenge is more than capable. 
Legends don't want him at a short price when I'm already taking a strapping kid, but I can't blame you if you like the horse. The question is the dirt. He's had two raids on the dirt. He got a crazy 95 buyer, which is probably good enough to win it. And it was only a second start, but he had an easy lead. And I don't know if that's happening uh, on Saturday. And then his other dirt race was not very good uh, at all. Uh, so who knows how he'll take to the dirt. The only two horses that I would want to mention other than that are on the outside. I've always been a fan of Jackson. I just like this horse. And I thought his last race was really good. Uh, he had a slight stumble at the start, which it doesn't show you. So always an advantage when you see trouble that's not listed. And he chased an eight to one shot around the track who faded. I thought the race slightly favored closers. And the fact that he was up close and chasing and took the lead early was a good sign. And that was his third off the layoff. And each one's been better than the next. Now, I know Chewback, he had an 88 buyer last time, an 87 buyer. So he might be like, oh, he kind of you know plateaued. No, I thought the 87 buyer last time was better than the 88 he ran before. If anything, it was more like a 90. So he's still improving a little. I know he's a five-year-old already, but I just think he's getting into good form. And uh, I can see him doing something. Can he beat Extravagant Kid? I don't know, but I definitely like Jackson. And then Inter Miami, this is where the class angle is so tough for me in these races. Maybe you have a better clarity on it. But he's coming out of optional uh, second-level allowance, optional claiming, second-level allowance. Uh, in New York and, and mostly in Philadelphia. And the way I look at it, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I look at the buyers that the horse had been running and then I see his odds. So he was coming off a 78 and then an 86 buyer and he went off seven to one. And what I do is I go, all right, what if he was coming off a 78 buyer and then 86 buyer going into this race off of that? And he'd probably be like 10, 15 to one at least. So last race, he was seven to one, which means that it was probably a little easier. I don't know if that logic made sense, but that's how I look at class when I'm not sure, like, is that level tougher or easier than this race? That's not a perfect method, but that's a, a little trick that I use. So he's probably in a little easier spot, but his race two back was really good. He dueled the five to one shot in a huge speed duel. Uh, the five to one shot faded to the back. Now that was probably, like I said, against weaker, but that was a really impressive race. That 86 buyer was better. Came back last time and he had a four wide trip uh, around the track, kind of chasing the pace and I just thought he ran pretty well. It wasn't like, oh, my God, an amazing race, but he ran well, and it's better than the 84. So after the uh, extravagant kid, the five, I, I like the eight, nine, uh, and I'm going to try and beat the four, but I can see the four winning. I don't really care for anyone else. I know the most of them are long shots, but that that's all I really see here. Um, I, I don't want to keep going, but obviously the two and the three with Verb and Legal Deal are capable of doing okay. I just um, think that the outside hordes are better than them. Yeah. Your, uh, your two cents. Well, yeah, my two cents since, since you uh, men mentioned the horse and also Inter Miami uh, um, comes into play with, uh, I want to take the time to, to thank Doug McPherson for filling in for me last week. He did an awesome job. Man after my own heart when he pointed out that Castle Creed hadn't done crap since <laughs> he had to start facing older never you know i know tommy masses doesn't believe in that <laughs> you no, know it's grade one older every time but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> so so what did casa creed do hung like a dirty shirt took i don't lead know about that he ran a nice race come on he took the lead in a stretch it was like oh wait a minute i'm not supposed to be in front uh-huh <laughs> maybe he just ran into a monster who was coming off of like the best workouts uh in the last decade but anyway all right, so so I just want to take the opportunity to thank Doug. Yeoman's job. Pick pick some winners and, and actually 
kudos to you and Doug, who had, uh, was it Lone Spade or something like that? Went off at a decent price, couldn't get the job done, but a good second. Yeah, it was frustrating because I, I basically singled two horses. I forgot the name now. Long Blade, I think, was right. Yeah. If that's what you said. Uh, who lost by what, like a uh, half a length or a neck or something like that, if that. And then Casa Creed, who got caught late. So if one or both of them went one, I would have had a really good day, even if I didn't hit the pick five. If both of them won, I would have, you know, had a really, really good day. Anyway. But, but uh, my, my couple points on Inter-Miami, um, trainer switched to one of Tommy Masses' favorites, I'd say that, <laughs> jokingly, Georgiana Baxter. And uh, you notice uh, Inter-Miami's a four-year-old. Only two races this year. You know, even though had you know stepped up against nine winners, two other than couldn't get the job done. And like you said, you know, when you see a horse not getting the money, you know, that you would anticipate, and uh, uh, and I've, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a East Coast guy, Mid Atlantic, but Parks just isn't on the same level as Aqueduct in the Championship meet, uh, but. Who knows? Georgiana might be able to work her magic and uh, something might happen. Uh, but I don't know. The uh, extravagant kid definitely needs pace. There should be enough pace in here. Um, and, uh, you know, you were talking about extravagant kid on turf, but, you know, six wins out of 13 dirt tries, you know, he doesn't care if he's riding on running on carpet um you know th this is one where you just have to look at it as a free space and uh chalk out on it yeah he does look tough here so uh i guess we'll move on to race 11 and that is the sunshine turf at a mile and a 16th obviously on the turf and what do i like in this race this is the race i'm actually going to spread a little bit in i like there's three horses I'm going to talk about that I like. I'll start with the four Shamrock at seven to two. I know it's funny because if you look at his form, he probably should be like six to one, five to one. But I think the morning line is accurate here because you're going to have to pay for Pletcher and Irad. But you talked with John, for those of, uh, who stuck through the interview and are listening to the handicapping, you mentioned the buyer-er system. I put pluses and minuses. He's got pluses next to all three of his buyers, his last three. Each time I thought he ran better than it looked for whatever reason. I don't want to bore you with all three, but the last time he ran two wide in the first turn and then four wide in the second turn. And he probably needed the race. It was off a little layoff in the trainer switch and he just turned four. So he's improving. I know you don't won't like him, even though you already beat older. So I just think that this horse has a chance to step up because first of all, his 82 buyer last time was probably more based on the wide trip and I don't know if he was cranked up, probably more like an 84, at least 85. And I just think he has room for improvement. So I do like Shamrocket. And they're also, I'm not one for um, paces, you know, judging pace. I'm not good at that. And I just think it's too much of a guessing game to wager my money on it. But there seems to be so much speed in this race that he shouldn't get a great setup. So I like the four, Shamrocket. The other two horses I like, the two I actually like more than the four, but this is where pace comes into play. And the two is proven strategies listed at four to one, which I also think is a fairly accurate morning line. So Mark Cassie's coming out of, uh, yeah, a restricted race to three-year-olds, but an open uh, stakes race. 
against Lucky Curlin, who was like in the Canadian Triple Crown Trail. Not anything great. Um, Cheryl Spite is a solid horse. I mean, they're comparable to some of the better horses in this race, I think. Anyway, this horse, when he ran last time, it was a race that favored closers. There were four speeds across the track, and he was one of them. And uh, two of them were big long shots who faded to the back and basically walked home. So, I mean, it's good that he put him away, but kind of expected. And the other one was a four to five shot. And that was um, Charles Spite, who came in third. So he dueled a four to five shot into defeat. And he dueled two long shots to basically walk home. And he won the race. So that 89 buyer is really good. So I like him the best of the two. My only fear is there's so much speed in here. But I think the horse is capable of sitting, should save ground, maybe sit just off the pace. Or if no one wants to go, he can go. So I have no luck with Jose Ortiz. I don't know how this guy wins 20%. I love New York jockeys. I've always been a fan of his. But the more I've watched him recently, the more I'm like, how does he win 14%? Like, I haven't seen any of them. I'm always betting them and losing. So, uh, but he's a good jockey, I know. So the two I like the best. If you're too worried about the pace, I would take the four maybe over him, but those are the two. And the other one is a, a bit of a price, and that's the five over the channel. Um, Amiciel Jaramillo for David Fox. There's a horse uh, whose two-back race I didn't love per se, but last race I really liked. He had a three-wide trip. He chased and dueled two horses, a five-to-one shot who faded to fifth and a six-to-one who faded to the back and came in eighth. So he put away two other speeds. I mean, he faded too, but it was because he was battling on the lead. And, you know, I love that. So even though it says 25 second first quarter, remember, there are run-ups to these races. We, and I don't think they print them, at least not in the DRF, um, you know, PPs. So who knows the 25? It's more about how the race goes, who he's running with, how, you know, do they fade? Do they stay up? So I think he ran a pretty good race. Not 88 buyers, better than it looks. So I, I like this horse. And for the he should be able to sit off the pace. He was on the pace last time, but he can run close. He can sit back. So if I knew Shamrock was going to be three to one and, and the proven strategy would be three to one, I, I might take over the channel if I'm getting double digit odds as my main horse. But those are the three I want to play around with. And the only other horse to mention um, that I want to mention is the nine Venezuela hug. This is a horse three to one morning line. It might be accurate. That's the morning line favorite lukewarm. And it's going to be close to betting between the two I picked it and Venezuela hug and Ven Venezuela hug might be the choice here. But when he beat Shamrock at three back, he had a much better, much, much better trip than Sham Rocket. And his last race, yeah, he bobbled a little at the start, but it really wasn't much. He didn't really lose much momentum. He's a closer anyway, so he was going to be back. He saved ground, and it really set up well for him the race. So he could definitely win, but at a short price, a horse who had almost everything his own way, except for a little bobble at the start, I'm going to try and beat. So I'm going against the nine. I know there's a lot of speed in the race, so that's scary. Gargan's winning like crazy. Uh, he can definitely win, but I'm going to take a stand again. So I'm two, four, five here. And I really think a lot of horses have a shot. Uh, I won't go through each of them. Uh, but the three Monforte, uh, chase a really hot pace. There's just too much speed in here. So I'm probably going to leave them out. Galleon mass, the six and the eight clear destination who could come off the pace too. If he comes off the pace, I like those horses too. So I'm two, four, five, and I might even throw in, cause I'm going to spread here a little bit, the six and the eight. So that's where I am this race. I'm either going three deep or five deep, and I'm leaving out Venezuela hug. All right, I went too long. I know we're trying to do this quick, but go ahead. What do you What do you got? No, the only thing that I think is worth mentioning because he's kind of one Gally and Mass. I mean, uh, not hearing you too well, Gary. Got to uh, speak well, into the mic. Sorry. Um, yeah, Gal Galleon Mass, the six horse, ten to one. 
interesting. David Fox has has the five over the channel and, and, and this horse. Paco ran rode both of them last time. He he lands here. Uh don't know what happened the last time. Last time this horse ran was in November, but uh Horse always shows up because he's a Florida bred in these uh, restricted stakes. Ran third last year in the Sunshine Million Turf. Uh, ran, um, uh, you know, Paco always seems to, to do well on him. So, and yeah, he's kind of long in the tooth, just turned eight this year. But uh, the fact that Paco stays on him might, might be uh, worth a second look. That's all I yeah. got. No, and I like him actually. Two back was pretty good, actually. Uh, very good. He had a three wide trip. And last race, he was very fractious before it doesn't say it. The six is Gally Mess. He was fract. He leapt up. Watch the replay. Um, if you're listening to this, he leapt up in the gate. He's a nice gray looking horse. And then he came down and he seemed to get out fine, but who knows? He bangs his head and you know what, what's going on. So, um, you know, definitely an excuse, I think, before the race, uh, last time for Gally Mess. So Anyway, we'll move on to race 12, the last race, almost done. Gulfstream uh, Park race 12, $16,000 claimer. There's a, uh, what do you call it, a walkaway uh, race or whatever? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but. The Belmont Stakes, too. They used to. I don't know if they still do. Um, so, anyway, this is a turf race, mile on the 16th. A lot of these are coming out of a race that we covered about a month ago. And it was one, or maybe a few weeks ago, it was the one that Donji won. And I'm sure if people don't remember when I said that race, you can go back and listen, but I'm sure you won't. Um, I like three horses that race. I had said it was a wide open race. I really didn't know what to do, but I was going to leave out a couple of the favorites. Donji was the only short price horse I liked because I had liked him the race before and he just inexplicably ran bad. I didn't know why. So I left out some of the uh, short prizes and I liked Donji. And then I bet two long shots, Honey Won't, and I forgot the other horse who were like 25, 30 to one, the two long shots on the board who did nothing. And Donji won. I was out of the pick five by then and my vertical bets, I needed one of those two to come in with Donji. So it didn't work out. Uh, the betting but uh, having said that out of those horses I just think there are two horses who are kind of outsiders here who are just better than these uh, I'll start with the one that I like second best only because of the price the 10 sniper kitten he's probably just better than these he's dropping big time for maker coming out of a $50,000 claiming race where he ran really well that was a race that really favored closers uh, I think it was two horses uh, Max KO, maybe. Um, Sir Seamus was one of them, I know. They got in a huge speed to way ahead. And this guy made like first run at them and then he got caught. So he just ran a really, really good race, I thought. And it was against better horses. He's probably just the best horse here. I know his numbers aren't that much better recently, but that 83 was probably more like an upper 80s to 90. He's run 90s in the past buyer wise. So there's a horse who's going to be super tough. The 10. Um, sniper kitten and he's got speed which is valuable there to stay close the other horse who i kind of chuckle when i saw the morning line maybe i'm wrong but if i can get 12 to 1 on the six speed franco i'll be unloading because the only horse that really scares me is a 10 speed franco if you go back to when he ran at a somewhat similar level three back it was twelve thousand five claiming so it was a cheaper level but it, there wasn't that much of a difference in the field and he ran an 86 buyer in that race, he was three wide in the first turn. Uh, I can't read what else I wrote. He got in a duel with a 14 to one shot and a 50 to one shot, three-way duel, and they faded to the back. Granted, 50 to one shot's going to fade, but 14 to one shot, you know, probably fade if he's in a duel, but he like totally put them away. So that race favored off the pace, I thought. He ran a super race and he blew the field away. 
Then he goes in a much better race, 62,000 optional um, claiming race, where now he was five to two. So I don't know how amazing the field was. The fact, remember I talked before, you know, the fact that he was five to two, it wasn't a great field for that level, but it was still better than this. And he got bumped at the start and he ran a decent race considering, I know the speed figure didn't come up much, but you know, considering the bump of the start, better field, he, he ran and he was three one on both turns. So he covered a lot of ground. And then last race, he was in the, the claiming crown event. I mean, Temple's a horse who came in second, who runs like 90 buyers. I mean, he's he just better than these. These are like 80 buyer horses. He's running against horses who get 90 plus buyers. He really had no shot. So I can ignore that race. If you go back to the last race where he was at a similar level, he was much better than most of these. So I really just think the six and the 10 are the two horses here. I would love to, now Donji is good enough to win. He won last time and he's capable. He had a pretty good trip last time. He got a good setup. I think that's like the best you're going to see from Donji. It's good enough maybe to win if the six or the 10 aren't like the real deal here. So I'm not against Donji, but I'm not going to use Donji, especially if he's like nine to two range, which he probably will be. The only other horse I want to mention was the two horse, the mighty judge. Now, ironically, I didn't like him last time, but mostly because of the price. Uh, he was going to be one of the favorites in the race against Donji last time. Uh, another is in here. I can't see another being four to one. He's going to be a bigger price. He got a perfect trip last time, so I don't like him here. But two mighty judge, he won't be 12 to one. It may be chuckle too. He'll be shorter than that. But he ran very well last time. In fact, he was the best horse in that race. So the Donji race, even though he came in sixth, the mighty judge was the best in that race. He had a wide trip, three wide first turn, two wide second turn. He checked slightly at the start. Uh, I'm sorry, he checked slightly on the back stretch and he lacked room in the stretch. Um, and if he didn't lack room, he might have actually won that race. Between the wide trip, the trouble on the back stretch, and the major trouble in the stretch, uh, this was the best horse. I still think the top two I said are better, but if he's anywhere near 12 to 1, that's why I wish it was an accurate morning line. I can trust the guy. Like if it was David Aragona, I can trust the guy. Yeah. So basically, the fact that the mighty judge could be a decent price. I think he's the best out of the horses who have been running at this level. He's got an inside post now. So I do like the two. So I'm mostly 6'10", 6 speed Franco because of the price. I like better than the 10, even though the 10 is probably a little better. And then the two I want to throw in there too for the price. Uh, and those are the only three I'm using in this race. So uh, you want to wrap up final thoughts before you do a better than the yeah, week? Yeah, I, I echo your sentiments on speed Franco. There's no way this horse goes off at anywhere close to 12 to 1. I, I just don't see it. Uh, interesting horse, also at a price. <laughs> I think he didn't mention him. Uh, the the five horse, the toughest ombre, 15 to one. Kind of hard to back uh, if you're doing horizontals because he's five wins out of 50 trips. He's an eight-year-old. It's 0 for 8 on the uh, Gulfstream Park turf, but hasn't hasn't seen the turf in, in quite a while. Uh, I'm familiar with the trainer, Mary Epler. She always, you know, takes her uh, horses to the golf stream during the winter. Uh, the, the fact she claimed this horse off of Dale Capuano, age eight, maybe it was because she thought she could pick up a purse in this, you know, claiming crown uh, where the horse really never did anything uh, coming back. Now she's just dropped, drops them down, probably just, uh, realizing that an eight-year-old finally gets back on the turf uh, and uh, can can maybe pick up a, a little barn money. So, you know, it, 
dropping down to its lowest level. Uh, the horse has shown that uh, he, uh, he can run. Uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, put too much into that last race. Hopefully the, the, the drop isn't a, a red flag, but, uh, you know, for a price, if you're playing verticals, I, I certainly would use an exact or, or, or try. Other than that, I, I have nothing, nothing to add. To right. I, I, I'm actually glad you mentioned that horse. That's one horse who, you know, scares me a little bit. I just don't think he's the same as he was, but you're getting a good price. If you're getting anything like double digit odds, 10 to one or better is a good price on a horse who's capable on his better days. So as we wrap up, um, I'm just going to review a pick five ticket that I'm uh, looking at, and then we'll uh, do a better the week if you're good. And uh, sure. that's the show. It's been a long yeah. show, so we'll let people go. All right. So my pick five ticket, again, it's hard to give it a few days out, but I'm not much is going to change here uh, unless it scratches, obviously. So race eight, the first leg, I'm going to single the six. I like the eight. I just don't think he can beat the six or she can beat the six. So I'm going to single the six sugar fix and race eight race nine. I'm going to use a little chalky here. I hate to use chalk. I'm going to get yelled at by inside the pylons, but one, three, four, six, but I'm going to lean more on the three, uh, one, three, four, six with the three being my main play there. Race 10, I'm going to go five, eight, nine. I know I probably shouldn't throw in more horses. If you're using like a six to five shot, you probably shouldn't spread. But the eight and nine will be a little bit of a price. So I don't want to leave him out in case extravagant kid uh, doesn't show up with his best game. So I'm five, eight, nine in race 10. I'm betting against the four who's going to be the second choice. So five, eight, nine in race 10. Race 11, I'm going to spread a little bit there. Two, four, five, six, and eight. That's two, four, five, six, eight in race 11. And then in race 12, I'm going to use the two, six, 10. That ticket, I believe if I did my math right, comes out to 90 bucks. That's going to be the most I spread. And I might cut some out. I might cut out the two in the last race, but I hate to cut it a price, so I probably won't. I might go a little shorter, like in race 10 with the extravagant kid. I might cut out one of the other horses to cut my bet to 60 so I can press a little bit. But that's pretty much my uh, pick five ticket going in, uh, at least my thoughts before scratches and seeing how the races run in the morning uh, or the first part of the card. Uh, as far as the bet of the week, I'll go first, and hopefully you're prepared. If you don't want to do it, that's okay, because usually I, I give you a warning, and I forgot to tell you about it this week. Uh, um, I, I'm okay with it. We'll all right, awesome. So going into this week, because uh, I'm I'm up money, so I like to uh, promote it. If I was down, I wouldn't say much, but I'm up $124 after losing $40 two weeks ago. Luckily, last week, I didn't do it when you weren't here. I didn't think it would be fair, uh, and I probably would have bet that um, long blade, and he came in second by like a, a, a nose or something, so I would have lost a tough one. Uh, but anyway, this week, I'm going to go to race eight. And I'm just going to bet because it's a little chalky. I'm not going to even box it. I'm going to bet a $40 straight exact, a 6-8 in race eight. So that is Sugar Fix, the six over the eight Mo of the West. $40 straight. GQ, you're a bet. You're, should I say it? You're down 49 bucks now. Yeah. Which is still above the takeout of your bet. So it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I... I Came out of the gate in our first episode with a winner. It's been downhill ever since. Being too timid, too timid. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what I'll do is I'm going to go. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, race 11, I believe. Yeah, race 11. I'm going to go with the old timer that uh, in Paco, uh, since he's. Uh, a juicy 10 to one. I'll just do, why not? I'll do 20 to win. 
on the six horse Galleon Mast in race 11. All right, you're finally going for a price, so I like it. And the horse has a shot, so I, I like the uh, I like the bet there. Anyway, we kept you guys a long time. We appreciate you guys listening. Feel free to uh, share our podcast. We're trying to get to as many listeners as possible. We appreciate it. Um, Bandits BB on Twitter. GQ is at Horse Racing Nut on Twitter. GQ and, any, our, uh, and oh, our guest John Scheinman is also on Twitter. It's Scheinman John. So uh, I'm sure John will appreciate uh, anyone who uh, enjoyed his time with us. So um, have a good weekend, Eric. All right, you too, GQ. And good luck to everyone out there. Enjoy the races, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.